Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Oh, here we go, boys. that sound. This is a good one. Welcome everybody to the Full Scale Outdoors podcast, Waterfowl Wednesday edition. I'm your host, Nick Johnson. Dale Luganville has the night off. He is in Missouri snow goose hunting. And uh, by the sounds of it, getting his ass handed to him, as a snow goose hunter should be doing. Uh, he, he texted me earlier, he said they've seen over a quarter million geese today, and he said they were sitting at one bird. Hey, one is better than zero when it comes to hunting adult snow geese, and that sounds like a pretty good show either way. I don't mind sitting in a field and bird watching as long as it's not muddy. Um... Big migration stuff happening, though, in the spring. That's always exciting to see. I've been driving around the Twin Cities and seeing a lot of fresh Canada geese showing up, getting ready to fight each other over some uh, frozen ponds, getting ready to set up for mating season. Um, they're kind of filtering in all over the place. You can definitely tell um, the first arrivals have gotten into our latitudes and are starting to set up shop already. So without Dale today, I usually do... Uh, like a deep dive, like a grab your snorkel type of event. And today I just wanted to kick it a little bit more casual. And I'm going to try something out. Uh, if it works, we'll publish it. If not, we're still going to publish it. But it's a little segment I think I'm going to call Keeping Tabs. So I'm notorious on my phone and in my browser to have dozens and dozens of tabs open because I see interesting links. I get Google alerts all the time. I see an interesting link. I click it and then I save it for later to when I get some time to sit down and go through all the links that I've clicked on and uh, read about some cool waterfall stuff. So we're going to do that on air today. And I think, uh, I think the first tab to start out with is if you don't have this bookmarked, you really should. And that is the Alberta Conservation Association Lesser Snow Goose Migration GPS Tracking. This started, I think, three years ago, maybe four years ago. <clears throat> it was three springs ago or three Januaries ago when I was looking for 
this specific goose, which is Goose 2. And if you just Google Alberta Conservation Association Lesser Snow Goose Migration GPS Tracking, you're, it's going to pop right up. And they started this out where they put GPS telemetry data in near real time. It's 48 hours old on eight lesser snow geese. And when they started this, they put them on in far northern Alberta in the um, springtime or in the summertime, I believe. And out of eight geese that they put GPS transmitters on, seven of them went to California. And one of them didn't. Goose 2. Goose 2 ended up in Texas and in Kansas. That's where I got within a half a mile of him. I checked my location 48 hours after I was scouring his last known location. So I knew I got within a half mile of him. And ever since then, I have, since I didn't get him, for the last two or three springs, I have been rooting for, like, rooting for Goose 2 to survive. Anytime I see, a like, a GPS neck collar snow goose get killed, I, like, am seriously bummed out about it. Like, I really hope, like, please don't be Goose 2. Please don't be Goose 2. Because I'm just rooting for this guy to make it now. And it's so much fun to watch his migration on the Alberta Conservation Association Lesser Snow Goose GPS Transmitter um, tracking and we I am looking at him now and uh, let's see this ping he has is from March 22nd at 2.03 p.m. and what that's a, oh March 1st of 2022 at uh, 2.03 per p.m. so god damn that was a week ago they used to do these like 48 hours that's kind of interesting anyways he was northeast of Kansas City. I wonder if they backed that up because people were, <laughs> like me, were trying to kill him. I know several people that were <laughs> like trying to keep tabs on where Goose 2 was and where to find him. I noticed that too. The last time I checked Goose 2 was maybe like a week ago, and I noticed his ping was really old. He's a super interesting goose, though. Like uh, That first year when I was tracking him, he had gone from like... The southwestern Montana, northwestern Wyoming area to Texas, then to Kansas, then to Nebraska, then he was in Kansas. Last year, he came down and he sat in uh, the Great Salt Lake for a month, and then he jumped over to the Mississippi Alluvial Valley down by Arkansas, and then he went back up kind of a traditional route this year. He went over to Illinois. He even stopped in Indiana for a day. And then as of March 1st, he was um, just in Missouri. Let's see, just northeast of Kansas City, more specifically. Uh, let's get a little closer, get a little closer. Just outside of Pershing State Park by Laclede. Laclede, or Meadville, right in there. Off just south of Highway 36. Anyways, if you're not following Goose 2, I highly recommend you check it out. It's an awesome follow. Let's see what else. Um, oh, here's another thing that popped up in my tabs today. Um, the Wisconsin DNR is uh, putting out a survey for waterfowl hunters. They want to know what you think. Not only is the Wisconsin DNR doing this, but so is the Wisconsin Waterfowl Association, which is not government-affiliated. But there's two surveys out there right now. People want to know what you think if you hunt in Wisconsin. So make sure to get online and then check out. They've got a video on there. I didn't finish it today, but I started. I watched like 18 minutes. It's like a 24-minute long video 
um, that Taylor Finger and the other guys uh, at the DNR put out. And it's uh, super boring, dry um, data about duck, ducks, geese, and duck hunters. So obviously, I loved watching it. I got to finish that up. I'm, I love that. Just it, you give me a PowerPoint presentation with duck facts and goose facts and talking about data. Man, I'm in for the whole ride normally, but I was uh, trying to sneak it in at lunch break at work and I didn't quite finish it. And I also need to fill out that survey for the Wisconsin DNR. So that was another thing that popped up. Uh, another. <laughs> Something that came into my email inbox today, too, was I got an email from the Fish and Wildlife Service. This is just at uh, 4 o'clock this afternoon that they are, uh, they just allocated $162 million for uh, fixing up the Klamath Basin in Northern California and Southern Oregon. If you've never heard of the Klamath Basin, it is one of the most vital spots for waterfowl, migratory waterfowl in the Pacific Flyway on Earth. I think there's like some stats. They're talking about this on a Ducks Unlimited podcast that like in the 50s, they went there and to do some surveys, like some aerial surveys of uh, of some waterfowl. And they, my, my numbers might be off, but I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm pretty close on this, but they would count between four six and eight million ducks on the Klamath Basin. That's fucking insane. Here's something that's even more insane. Like four to five million of them were straight pintails. They thought like 99% of the um, population of pintails would go there in like the 50s and 60s. Can you imagine being a market hunter? How many pintails they kill? <laughs> but that's, that's pretty crazy, man. It's good to hear that the... Um, uh, it says the bipartisan... Bipartisan infrastructure law is a significant investment in the nation's infrastructure and economic competitive service principal deputy director Martha Williams says, you know, one thing with this hyper partisanship that's been going on in, in uh, within Congress and our nation, our country, is uh, people are looking for like winners that they can say are bipartisanship. And one big winner in this hyper partisan era is the outdoors and conservation and money getting funneled in for uh, all this stuff. Trump signed a bunch of shit. Not only, well, God damn it, the name of uh, that big bill that Trump signed is is eluding me right now. But then uh, he opened up a bunch of federal land for uh, waterfall or for hunting on national wildlife refuges. Biden continued that. You know, like when everything's so hyperpartisan and you're just dying to say like we passed something. And uh, we worked across the aisle to get it done. Conservation and uh, wildlife has been a has been a primary benefactor. Which hey, that's cool. That's cool. I wish we weren't so hyper partisan, but keep them dollars coming to, towards conservation. Let's roll through some more. Uh, let's roll through some more tabs. I just opened up my Safari browser on my iPhone. I have forty eight tabs open right now. Here is an Outdoor Life uh, tab. It's from the Outdoor Life magazine. It says, a new telemetry study could solve the mysterious decline of Atlantic flyway mallards. Eastern mallard populations have been trending in the wrong direction for decades, but no one knows why. A multi-year telemetry project aims to change that. Well, that sounds pretty dope. That's right up my bird nerd alley. 
This winter, about 300 Atlantic Flyway hen mallards. God, they always put the GPSs on hens, right? Fucking shoot those hens. Shoot those hens and get those transmitters. About 300 Atlantic Flyway hen mallards will migrate north with a GPS for mobile communication, GSM transmitter affixed to their backs as part of a multi-year study aimed at understanding why mallard numbers are dropping across the northeast. Over the next four years, a total of 1,000 hens will be tracked using these transmitters. All right, so they've got 300 on now. It's a four-year study. They've got 600 more to go for the next three years so they have to do at least another 200 every year and remember when people shoot these things they ask you to mail them back in guess what they do with them they put them on another duck they don't just put them on the shelf and be like well that one got killed let's put this five thousand dollar transmitter up on a shelf so it does nothing nope they send you if you ever shoot one of these things they send you a replica as a thank you and then they take that transmitter and they put it on another duck so just because they do a thousand doesn't mean they might not just keep going with more than a thousand you know they've got a thousand that they've got paid for how many of those get shot and returned and put on another bird opposed to dying in a thunderstorm or uh getting killed by a bald eagle okay let's keep reading a little bit because this one's kind of interesting a thousand hens will be tracked using these transmitters to determine demographics, migration chronology, and habitat usage between the northeastern U.S. mallard populations and their eastern Canadian counterparts. Blah, blah, blah. Here's a cool graph of some data of ma mallard population. If you guys want to check this out, this is a, an Outdoor Life article. Again, it's called A New Telemetry Study Could Solve the Mysterious Decline of Atlantic Flyway Mallards. I heard about another cool um, telemetry study that a guy on a Ducks Unlimited podcast talked about it's the episode where um, they have the midwinter waterfall survey results from Texas and they got the Texas biologist on there. And he was, we like, if you've been following the Texas midwinter survey, uh, like I have, like a bird nerd for the last several years, it's really interesting how the cackling geese have taken to using urban landscapes, specifically Lubbock and Amarillo. And uh, I think they've had like between 250,000 and 400,000 cackling geese in those two towns, but like each. So one or the other, like between 250 and 400,000 cackling geese, like roosting in town, feeding in the fields outside of town for the last three years at least. And the guy on the Ducks Unlimited podcast kind of blabbed and said, um, that they're going to do a telemetry study on them. Because now since that that used to not be a thing where that many cackling geese were using an urban landscape like that. So now they're really curious, like, well, what are they using? Are they just roosting here? Are they using, you know, the uh, the soccer fields? You, you learn a lot by just strapping a bunch of neck collars on uh, some GPS neck collars on some cackling geese and see what they do on their daily, everyday life. And I'm assuming... That's the area they're going to do that is Lubbock and Amarillo. Now, that guy, I haven't corroborated that with anything that I found online. Uh, I don't think he, I don't remember him saying how many they were going to do, but that's pretty cool. Anyways, I'm going to close off that study here. Here's another tab I got from the Jamestown Sun. Doug Lear, not all birds fly south for winter, blah, blah, blah. This is a story about the North Dakota Midwinter Waterfowl Survey, which just came out a couple weeks ago. These Midwinter Waterfowl Surveys have been dropping. I haven't 
found anything that uh, like collaborated them, like a Central Flyway or an Atlantic Flyway or Mississippi Flyway yet. But I'm kind of getting them together piecemeal. And uh, they, uh, let me see if I can. I know that in North Dakota, they they did have a significant decline in the amount of Canada geese that they that they were wintering. They usually winter them in two spots, three spots. There's um, Lake Sakakawea, if I'm saying that right, off of memory. Then there's this power plant that's southwest of Lake Sakakawea. And I can't remember the name of the town that's in, but the, this power plant's on a big lake. And they usually have like twenty or 30,000 hawkers that'll winter there. And then they also have them along the Missouri River further south, I want to say. Or maybe it's up by... Yeah, I can't remember. Anyways... Um, let's see here. Blah, blah, blah. The most recent annual midwinter waterfall survey in early January indicated about 81,000 Canada geese in the state. 81,000 Canada geese, that's a lot of fucking Canada geese, though. You know, it's a big state, but they are concentrated, like, in three areas. But, um, the number of waterfall recorded dropped substantially from last year's survey. But that was a relatively mild winter with little snow accumulation. They're saying that this year, the, uh... The heavy snowfall and the cold temp pushed a lot of those birds further south this year. Blah, blah, blah. Um, Yeah, here's where it says. During the survey, an estimated 55,000 Canada geese were observed on the Missouri River and another 21,100 on Nelson Lake in Oliver County. Now, I believe that Nelson Lake in Oliver County is that um, power plant. Nelson Lake in... uh, Oliver County. I'm Googling it right now. Now, the interesting thing about that that power plant spot is that is in the eight bird limit in um, yes it is. Yes it is. It's the Minkota Power Co-op Milton R. Young Power Plant and that is um, let's see, that's Nelson Lake so that's where they just counted 21,000 Canada geese. This would have been like around the um, the first of the year. So from like Lake Sakakawea, it's actually southeast, but it's west of the Missouri River. The, the Missouri River curves, goes east and south, and it's um, there's not really not a lot of townage around there or like places you could stay, but there's a town here called Center. But I've heard that people go have gone out into that area. It's tough to to hunt that area. There's not hotels, there's not restaurants. You kind of got to be ready to to rough it, but um if you do any late season goose hunting along the Missouri River in North Dakota, a lot of that is a five bird zone. Well, this power plant, I guess I would want to verify that. Don't just take my word for it cuz I've never hunted this power plant area and I've never had a reason to really check it. I've just been told it's outside of that five bird Missouri River zone. But, I mean, it's within 20 miles of the Missouri River. Definitely worth checking that out. I've kind of always wanted to do that, though. Just get a buddy with a camper or uh, an an ice king or something and go out there and try to hunt those geese off that power plant. That'd be sweet. I'm sure there's not a fuckload of people that do it. I mean, there's probably a bunch of people that... I mean, 21,000 is what their winter. Like, I wonder what it's like in November and December. Anyways, the 10-year average for the midwinter survey in North Dakota is 123,100 Canada geese and 24,000 mallards. 
blah, blah, blah. How many mallards did they see? Dingus said that after summarizing the numbers, an additional 7,000 mallards were tallied statewide. Oh, so they only had 7K in North Dakota this winter. So much for mallards not migrating. Because only 7,000 of those cocksuckers were left up in North Dakota. You know, I made a New Year's resolution to stop swearing so much. This podcast brings out the worst in me. Whoa, it says Lake Sakakawea officially froze over just a few days before the survey this year. Well, that'll have an effect on it. You know, when you look at these annual surveys, they like especially the midwinter survey where they all try to do it kind of at the same time, they are not like... You got to kind of read into them a little bit. Like when you read stuff like that, oh, Lake Sakakawea froze up. Okay, well, that could push some birds out, you might think. Like opposed to a year where maybe it didn't freeze up until like mid-January. Now you're going to have substantially more birds. It's always really interesting to read the different, um, the different things that affect surveys. Like sometimes you're like, man, why is this survey so low? And then you find out that, you know this Fish and Wildlife Service plane broke down and they weren't able to fly it. And you're like, all right, just kind of crazy stuff like that. All right, we're knocking some tabs back. That's like two out of 48. All right. Um, Let's see here. <laughs> wood duck nesting boxes from Wildfowl. It's a good time to get those wood duck nesting boxes going if you guys haven't. There's a couple organizations that are getting those ready. Jesus Christ. My wife got a dog. You can hear him barking. I hope that's not a trend that continues. I'm going to have to beat him more, I think. I've been beating him a lot. And it's obviously not working. And obviously I don't beat the little dog my wife got. But I should. <laughs> oh, shit. She was not very impressed how I... Uh, bought a a collar tag for him that said Jack Mehoff on it because the dog's name is really Cooper. And the whole time that we've been getting him, I'm like, I'm going to call him Jack Mehoff. And she's like, shut up. That's not very funny. I'm like, I think it's fucking hilarious, actually. And then I got on Amazon and I ordered a, uh, a collar tag that says Jack Mehoff and it has my phone number on it and I put it on the dog. And uh, she uh, also said that I enjoy wasting my money. And that's also very true. And I like wasting my money on jokes that make her angry. So it's a win all around for me. And I'm still calling the dog Jack Mehoff. <laughs> Walk-in access offering more opportunities for hunters. Oh, from the West Central Tribune. Minnesota's walk-in access program has grown since its start in the southwest corner of the state to include much more of the state. Once thought of primarily for pheasant hunting, that's not once thought of. That's still to this day, you fucking assholes. Lands in the program offer opportunities for a wide range of game. Yeah, like pheasants and, um, pheasants and, uh, snowshoeing. Fucking assholes. If you're planning to scout public lands for your spring turkey hunt, you might want to put some walk-in access lands on your checklist. Often thought of as primarily for pheasant hunting. Again, we know. Walk-in access lands are playing an increasingly larger role in providing hunter access to more opportunities. Blah, blah, blah. How? Yeah. Pr tell me something about it. Blah, blah, blah. Don't overlook walk-in access lands for hunting opportunities. Blah, blah, blah. 
Aaron Sanquist, Minnesota coordinator, Pheasants Forever, of course. God, how do we get something like that? How do we get an Aaron Sandquist, a Minnesota coordinator for waterfowl hunters needing walk-in access? We need some fucking walk-in access. Like, imagine just a couple of fields around Fergus and a couple fields around Rochester. You know, like, something you could take a Wednesday off of work and take a kid down there and set a spread. And, uh, you know, three dozen silhouettes or something. And, you know, if it's good weather, you might get a goose or two. But if nothing else, you could kind of just have an easy way to introduce people. Ah, don't, it's getting, jeez. Don't get me going on this bullshit. Launched in 2011, the state's walk-in access began with 9,000 acres. That's actually one thing I didn't know. I didn't know that the state's walk-in access program is only 11 years old. That seems young. That's kind of crazy. I, I didn't even know that. I didn't know that 12 years ago, we didn't have a single piece of pheasant hunting land that was walk-in access. So how do we... How do we keep growing that, I guess? You know, if you if you go into uh, the Nebraska Public Access Atlas, I just had one here. Um, they've got amazing public access in Nebraska. And uh, when you get the magazine, they, there's the Public Access Access, or Public Atlas Access, Public Access Atlas. There, I said it right. That's online, which is the digital form, but I always get like the paper one too because I just like to read it and stuff. And there is a whole big section in there. How is this paid for? I can't remember right now. I believe there's a uh, there's a federal program that funds a lot of money for it. But I, I heard, um, God damn it, now I can't remember the name of our Minnesota waterfowl guy that works at our DNR. But I heard him say too, the biggest uh, restriction to getting more access Walking access is money. And then that just reminds me when I, ah, we don't know how to get all the money for it. Well, Nebraska tells you how they got all the money for that enormous amount of walk-in access. Why can't we just do what Nebraska does? They tell you how they did it right in the pamphlet. Anyways, so if you're turkey hunting, going to turkey hunt, I guess don't, um, don't overlook all that pheasant land that we have for all the pheasant hunters. Two, two, two. What? Here's a South Dakota thing I saw. It's, I don't know if it's in my tabs anymore, but it was in my tabs. They were talking about significantly expanding the Oahe. Um, if, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. But you know the big refuge, the big goose refuge by Pier? That's where all those birds, like, traditionally, like, they have gotten shitloads, like, hundreds of thousands of geese that uh, roost there. And I know a lot of people go to the Pier area to uh, not a lot of non-residents do because you can buy an over-the-counter license there and hunt only on private land. You can't hunt public land out by pier if you're a non-resident. Well, they're talking about significantly expanding the refuge area, which I wonder what kind of effect that would have. Maybe it would hold more birds. Maybe it would attract more birds. Maybe it wouldn't do a goddamn thing except kill hunter opportunities. And that's another uh, one weird thing that this article was talking about too was like, they thought that the expansion of this refuge would significantly increase hunter opportunity, which is like uh, a head-scratcher, right? So you're going to take all this land that you used to be able to hunt and now say you can't hunt it, but that's going to increase opportunity? That doesn't make sense, 
right? Unless the plan works and like you get a fuckload more birds in that area and then all these fields and these public areas around the refuge are actually become good hunting. Well, then I guess technically you have increased hunter access. Like if somebody can just go hunt that spot now, but it sucks. And then you put this refuge in and now the hunting is great for a significantly larger portion of land. That seems like a, a coin in a wishing well, though, doesn't it? Public comments sought on Swan Lake National Wildlife Refuge headquarters and visitor relocation. Oh, it's just they want to relocate the visitor center. All right. Just something in my tabs. Something in my tabs. Um, Let's see here. <laughs> Why? Here we go. The Arkansas Times. Why Arkansas's best duck hunting woods are drowning. All right. Oh, fucking paywall. I get to read a little bit of it. Why Arkansas's best duck hunting woods are drowning by Ariana Remmel of the Arkansas Times. We'll read a little bit of this. Why not? If you walk through Henry Gray Hurricane Lake Wildlife Management Area, the towering hardwood stands might look like a beautiful place to hunt, but once you know what you're looking for, you can see the trees are drowning. Wildlife management areas like these woodlands just outside of Bald Knob are protected public land set aside by the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission to conserve the natural state's wildlife to promote outdoor recreation. Hurricane Lake WMA is best known for its green tree reservoirs, human-made wetland structures that attract ducks and duck hunters from miles around. Levees built around the forest are designed to hold water on the forest floor, imitating the seasonal flooding that occurred naturally in bottomland hardwood forests across the Mississippi Delta before dams and levees tame the major rivers. Most of these ancient bottomland woods were long ago cleared for timber and tried to make way for agriculture. Blah, blah, blah. The Game and Fish Commission manages more than 50,000 acres of green tree reservoirs spread across more than a dozen wildlife management areas in the state, and private landowners manage reservoirs of their own. That's made Arkansas a duck hunting destination, yet many of the forests are in poor health, blah, blah, blah. They flood them too early, too deep, too long. Once was best considered the best strategy for conserving migratory waterfowl populations has inadvertently decimated the cornerstone tree species specifically red oaks like willows blah 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 let's get some data on that like oh all the trees are dying okay Pro prove it what's your numbers okay here we go a 2014 game and fish commission survey of willow oaks in the state green tree reservoir found that 40 percent of the trees were already dead or irreversibly damaged that's the numbers i was looking for 40 percent huh that's not good <laughs> but there's a lot of factors that people have talked to some people from down south about why ducks aren't aren't in arkansas anymore there's you know it could be warmer winters it could be i've heard of like zero grade farmer far, or zero grade farming practices which i am by no means even i shouldn't even be talking about i just know those words i don't even know what they mean um, but I've heard that rice harvesters are just getting so much better at getting all the waste grain. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure these green tree reservoirs dying isn't helping either. Well, hopefully, this is a, this is a big article. It's a big article. There's a bunch more. Uh, this is actually pretty fucking interesting. It says uh, infrastructure updates alone could cost upwards of $70 million over the next 10 years, according to an agency spokesman. And there's uh, other uh, sections. We won't read any more of this, but it, if you build it, ducks will come. 
blah, blah, blah. Here's another. That goes on for a few paragraphs. The trees are suffocating. That goes on for seven, eight paragraphs. Moving light and water. Like, this is a comprehensive, interesting article. Wow. It's very long and probably an interesting read. I'm going to save that so I can read it later. Again, this one's called Why Arkansas's Best Duck Hunting Woods Are Drowning by Ariana Remmel from the Arkansas Times. Kind of seems like a great article, actually. I'm going to read that. All right, let's see what else is in my tabs here. Um, Evaluation of Captain Bolt for Emergency Field Euthanasia of Canada Geese. That seems pretty random. <laughs> Best of Brazzers 2017 to 2019. You didn't hear that. waterfowl hunting forecast that's old that's old as fuck by Virginia I've heard that Virginia's got some spots man even like close to the capital assessing the use of digital photographs for the determination of duck species age and sex that sounds kind of interesting how long has this been going because I've got 48 tabs And at least another 30 that aren't pornographic. (laughs) (laughs) We're at 31 minutes. Yo, my tabs are crazy. My tabs are crazy. Whenever I get bored, I can always pull out my phone and start going through my tabs. And uh, actually, I don't think that, uh, I don't think that was too bad. Uh, It wasn't, it wasn't too bad for me to read all that. I kind of enjoyed doing this little episode of Keeping Tabs with Nick J. And we're going to thank some fake sponsors because nobody gives us money for this. They'd be fucking stupid to do that. But we can pretend that people give us money. And I think that's what all the other podcasts, most of the other podcasts are doing anyways, too. So let's pretend that, um, let's pretend that Boss Ammunition has given us money. And I'm going to tell you some real stuff about Boss Ammunition. And that's that I like them a lot. And that I'm out. And that it would be great if they sent me some. Because I've been saying Boss Ammo is great for a really long time, and I think I deserve that. And uh, my new Ducks Unlimited magazine came in the mail today. It is the special travel issue. If yours didn't, then go online and give Ducks Unlimited $35. Which also reminds me, I don't know if I've got the new Delta Waterfall magazine. If you're listening to this and you've got the new Delta Waterfall magazine, send me a Snapchat or send me a picture of it. Because if I don't have it, then I think I owe Delta Waterfall $35. I think that's... uh, those magazines are worth it. And we could do, like, just this whole keeping tabs section. Man, we could just do a Ducks Unlimited or a Delta Waterfowl, open up that magazine, and I could just read from it, and it would be fucking awesome. The content those guys put out in those magazines kicks ass. Not just them, but, like, Wildfowl Magazine and uh, that North American Waterfowler Magazine. I lost my... I, I did not keep my North American Waterfowler subscription, but I got my Wildfowl... I'm kind of starting to think I haven't seen my Delta magazine in a bit. But either way, guys, join these organizations because, uh, let's admit it, you have $35. And you don't really give a fuck how much Ducks Unlimited gives their CEO. All right? If you give, if they give him that much, he's worth it. Anyways, have yourselves a good week, guys. Um, I don't know if Dale's going to be back next week. If he's not... Um, we will do something other than keeping tabs. We will do maybe a deep dive onto something. But anyways, stay nerdy out there, my friends. We'll chat next week.
go out there and the fish are where you think they are, any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, mule there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.